Good morning. On this bowl of question crunch, my dear friend Wayne Ingram answers questions about his career in cinematic composing, dealing with ambiguous adjectives, and always being such an epic rock star. Wayne, I have missed your face. Yeah, you know, Jimmy, your face is a severe lack of it over on this end. Also, ah, that that's that's uh, that makes me feel really good. Uh, I've <laughs> you've been a friend of mine since high school. I think it was sophomore year when we met, right? Yeah, yeah, because we had uh, Mrs. Shoes Spanish class together. Yep. Actually, I think it might have been freshman year. I think no, I think it was sophomore. Yeah. Was it was it sophomore with a freshman year? I just know Spanish class. We both had bleached hair. Yeah, it was. Like, <laughs> it was a memorable time. <laughs> I, I think that I was all bleached, and I think you had just frosted tips. Oh yeah, I had. <laughs> I, I had the full. I had the full Lance Bass going. It was. Really, <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> and ever since I've known you, you've been into music. You are my music guy. Um. It's it's and whenever I think about music, whenever I think about scores uh, or just talking about how impactful movie scores are, you're the first person I think of. Um, one of my favorite examples of working on a project with you with music was when um, uh, we, we were working on some kind of like CG project or whatever. And you started you started adding instruments and uh, you, you did the thing. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Awesome. Done. That's that's ex that's exactly what I want. And you're like, this could use a flute. And I was like, why? Why the fuck is a flute going to do anything? And you add the flute, and I'm like, even better. Cool. <laughs> Cut. Print. We're done. And you're like, I can add a, another thing. I was like, why? <laughs> but I feel like knowing music, you know what other flavors to add onto the thing to make it a whole thing that's greater than it was. Um, what first got you into music? Um, I mean, when I was a kid, there's kind of two. There's kind of two things. When I was a kid, um, I uh, I was I was watching. Uh, it was probably like New Year's or one of those Fourth uh, of July, you know, Boston Pops, uh, you know, concerts where they they're on like the they're on the Charles River and the big clamshell, and then they I think it was Fourth of July and they shoot the fireworks off off and the orchestra plays a bunch of music. I was probably like six years old, and um, and I was watching it. My grandma was over. Uh, and uh, we were watching that, and I was like, man, I thought the conductor was the coolest dude in the room, because he's got the super awesome coat, and he's got the big stick, and every, like, a hundred people are playing instruments watching him, you know, to, like, know what to do, and then he's, like, the wrangler, and a hundred people collectively make a bunch of sounds, and we perceive it as music, and I think that's just, like, that really impressed me as a kid, and I remember looking at my grandma, who was a big music person, a uh, fantastic piano player, and uh, she was a choral director for the Glee Club at her um, mobile home park. Uh, and I remember looking at her, and I was like, I was like, how do you do music? How does this work? And she's like, do you want to do music? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to do music. She's like, I've been waiting for this day when I get to give piano lessons <laughs> to someone. <laughs> and so uh, since when I was about six, uh, till you know, maybe like middle school ish, I took lessons from 
from uh, from her on the piano. Learned a bunch of stuff on on piano. Piano was my first instrument that I ever that I ever learned on. Um, and so that's kind of how that all started. I just thought it was so cool to hear an orchestra and then just see that it's like this huge team of people that all have to work their part. You know, they all have to. They're all like cogs in a machine, right? And like every part works correctly, you get this beautiful sound out of it. I just thought that was really impressive. That individually, it just it, it can't it, individually it can sound impressive. It, it can sound good, but uh, a lot of times it's just random notes. And then when it's all together, it makes music. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. When you look at like a score, right? Like a score is, uh, you know, it's just like this huge piece of paper, and like you said, it's just like all these instruments, all these random notes, and you go like, eh, anyone who, any single person plays that note, you're like, well, that's one single sound. And then a hundred people play it together, and it's like, oh, wow, that's like a whole chord, and it makes me think, you know, feel things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, you know, ha- having a slice of cheese is good. I like cheese, but when you can have it as a sandwich? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> or just the whole fucking cheese. Just give me the whole- <laughs> I just want to. So, so uh, last year for the clown charity thing, and I think I even mentioned this in an earlier episode when uh, Jen was on. Um, I mentioned that uh, there was a clown. Did, did you see the part where I did the quantum leap parody, where it's jumping in the souls of clowns? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, w- one of them was Grok, and there's a whole uh, a composition, a musical composition that's inspired by him, and it's a trombone solo. Oh. <laughs> The most fun of all solos. So when you say the whole block of cheese, I think, yeah, the whole trombone. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But do you remember the first songs that you played on the piano, if that's your first instrument? Um, I can't. You know, the first things you play on piano when you're learning is not necessarily songs. It's more like like technique books. You know, it's like play like a major scale, right? Like that's what you start with. Cause you don't know how to play a, a song unless you actually have some fundamentals like in your hands. So uh, probably the first song I remember playing was like, there'd be like a whole chapter of how to play certain scales. And then there'd be like a song that incorporates, <laughs> you know, that incorporates that technique. And I remember there being this like, like this, this like, I mean, probably not, too appropriate for today's time, but it was like a Native American song. <laughs> so most uh, like most likely not what. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to hear the song. I don't want to hear the song. <laughs> I'm not gonna play it. It could be it could be pretty bad. <laughs> I do remember after after a while of uh, like learning those technique books and stuff, um, I slowly realized that I was much better at picking things out by ear than I was reading the sheet music. Um, Just some people are incredible sight readers, right? And just put music in front of them and they play it. Um, I'm not like that. That's, I don't have that, that in me, but uh, if you play something for me, I can, I can pick it out pretty good. And I remember the very first, uh, the very first like TV show theme that I ever picked out on the piano was the theme to Sequest. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching Sequest when I was like ten. As as most musicians do. Yeah. <laughs> it's have, a classic story of music. Yeah, we all have our humble beginnings with with Sequest. It's it's tradition practically. <laughs> um, 
it's 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 amusing because like I I I'm like quoting sound of music in my head as you're talking where you have to you get you gotta do the scale and then I'm thinking in my head like but these don't mean anything well that's when you have to put words on <laughs> <laughs> yeah nah so I guess uh uh Maria you know I guess she wasn't lying she wasn't full of shit <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Um, what has been your career path with music, including school? Because I know you went to Berkeley School of Music. That's the name of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. And that's in Boston. And uh, that was a I, – I visited you in, at, at that school. And I well, I didn't go to your school, but I went to Boston because you were there and uh, yeah. had great clam chowder. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your career path. Uh, well, what yeah. What was it? <laughs> career path, well, I mean, I was in – I, I did school for a little longer than, than normal people would for a bachelor's degree just because I transferred a, to a couple different schools, Berkeley being the last one. Um, at Cal Poly Pomona, I was studying um, um, record production and, you know, recording music because uh, I'm very interested in actually, like, putting microphones in front of stuff and capturing people playing music and then mixing it and, and all that. That stuff kind of, that really intrigues me. Um, but <clears throat> while I was going there, I went to visit my cousin who lives in Massachusetts and, uh, we went and took a tour of Berkeley, uh, and they walked us all around and then they went, uh, oh, and here is our film scoring department. I was like, hold the fucking phone. You can go to school for that. Sign me up. <laughs> because my whole childhood has been like watching movies. I mean, you know, Jimmy, I'm, you know, you and I both come from heavily movie family and we're just what <laughs> come from you know we got like big movie files so um film scores uh are a huge huge part of my musical background just be growing up so i've always like it was always my dream to be like oh someday i'll write a film score you know and so when i when berkeley was like oh we have a whole department where we kind of show you the ropes with that i was like Okay, I've already been in college for five years, but uh, <laughs> I'll do three more if I can do if I can do that. <laughs> so um, after Berkeley, I went to Berkeley for three years and then graduated. And then after Berkeley, uh, shortly after Berkeley, I um, uh, very fortunately had a friend of mine from that same major, the film scoring major at Berkeley, uh, who was assisting a composer at Hans Zimmer's company. Uh, Hans Zimmer and this music library had started a company to do production music for TV called Bleeding Fingers Music. Um, and so the composer he was, look, he was working for needed an extra assistant. And so Jared, his, my friend's name is Jared, Jared recommended me because we had classes together. So um, I worked there for five years and wrote music for uh, countless TV shows, a bunch of reality-based kind of stuff. Scored a couple of nature shows, or you know, assisted in scoring some nature shows, and then um, I left that job a couple years ago uh, to make it out on my own here at my home studio. <laughs> Vaguely gestures around, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, and so I've been doing very similar work just from just from home now. I've been doing both mixing music and I've been doing a lot of uh, additional writing on movie projects and 
music library stuff. I've been doing that from home now. That's kind of the how my path has gone for now. For, for, that's, it's an awesome path. And uh, one of my favorite instances of uh, you talking about, because like a lot of times when you told me what shows you've worked on, um, they've been shows that I have not necessarily watched. But uh, there was that one time <laughs> when uh, we were all hanging out and I mentioned how much I love Legion. And uh, you're like, oh, I did music for that show. And I'm just like, what, uh, what, what's, what scene from Legion? And you told me the scene, and it was a, it was a training scene of Hair Star. And I always, I thought that was really bizarre, just because like, uh, I really love that scene. Mm. And I thought to myself when I would tell people about this that uh, I did not recognize your voices or your work prior to you telling me about that. But then when I watched that scene again, I definitely could hear you in it. And I was wondering to myself. Is this scene really as amazing as I think it is, or is it just because we grew up to, with each other that I subconsciously already put it up on a higher level? Because <laughs> even when I watch it now, I'm just like, yeah, this is a fucking masterpiece of like, <laughs> I, I love this. <laughs> and Cody, Cody sang in that too. It was. Oh, Cody. I reckon I recognize your voices. Yeah. Cody, Cody being your brother. Yeah. Cody, yeah. Sorry, Cody's my brother. And. Uh... <laughs> That was such a weird project because they needed that turned around, turned around in like a day, and they sent me a uh, the client. It was a uh, what name? Uh, it's like AMC or FX or one of those channels. I'm pretty sure it's AMC. I'm pretty sure. So, so whatever it was, that that client sent us uh, sent the company the request for a piece of music, and they sent this like recording of the. Uh, now you you can talk about all these details, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Just making sure. Just making sure. I don't want to get you into trouble, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, thanks. No, no. They sent they sent a recording, uh, an old recording on YouTube. It's just a YouTube link of okay. of like the 101st Airborne singing the this uh, this very famous paratrooper hymn. Uh, and then they, uh, oh, what's it called? Uh, Blood on. Uh, I forget. Anyway, they sent. I, I just I just call it horrible way to die. Horrible way to die. I mean, that's basically it, right? Yeah, because they say that line a million times. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> what a horrible way to die. Glory, glory, what a horrible way to die. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So they if, had, that's, if that's not the name of the song, then they just don't know how to name songs back then. <laughs> uh, so they said that, and uh, my boss was like, so... This is a recording of the of a like military choir. You know, it's probably like 30 or 40 people. Can you record yourself like a hundred times and make yourself sound like a choir? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or or hire 30 people in a day. <laughs> Luckily, my brother Cody is a fantastic singer. So I was like, hey man, do you want to come up here? And if you and I can pair together and record ourselves a few times. I'm sure we can make this work. And then we ended up getting it done. And it went on the show. Yeah, that was real weird. I did. There was all kinds of weird one-offs like that that would show up out of nowhere. So. And it's like I said, it's my favorite scene, and I I can't. <laughs> I, I've shown that scene to other people, and they have said it's a really good scene. So I, I'm relatively confident that's not just my subconscious mind, but. I'm not 100%. <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your bias is, is showing, Jim. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not super sure it's not. 
what what horror movie monster? If you got to choose whatever monster you want to do, what horror movie monster would you want to make music for? Um, is it okay to say that I know that you are going to ask me this question because I gave it some thought and I yes. think I have one answer. Okay. I think I've I think I've already gave I think everyone knows already that I give people questions ahead of time. <laughs> cool. Okay, so I have two answers. But they're kind of the same thing. The, <laughs> okay. The whole cheese, Jim. It's the whole, I've, got, I've got two answers, but it's one. It's one. <laughs> four answers. I'm going to say that. Okay. Um, well, what I, uh, what I really think would be fun is any character that has, like, a duality to him. So, like, the werewolf or, like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Those, I think it's really, uh, it's such a fun concept to think of writing music like write a theme or come up with some sounds for a character and then they shapeshift, right? Or they become a different character and you can create another theme and another set of sounds for that character. But depending on the story and where the, where the story goes dramatically, you can find elements from both sides and find ways to layer them to, you know, to like help tell like, uh, well, for instance, if there's a scene where, like, the werewolf, you know, the, the guy who's shapeshifting into werewolf is trying his hardest not to turn into a werewolf, right? Like, he start, like this, his clothes are starting to tear and the hair is starting to form, and he's like, don't do it, right? You can, like, bring layers of the werewolf music over his music to, like, overpower his music to score the scene of the werewolf you know, overpowering him as a person and vice versa and play with that kind of thing. That's always a, that's always a really fun concept to think of. That would be pretty awesome. I, w I would like that a lot. Um, I feel like if you did a werewolf versus a doctor, doctor, uh, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde, I feel, Oh, I guess, you know, I never actually read the story. So I assume that also is a similar kind of situation of Hyde trying to take over. But I feel like uh, I, I recently watched <laughs> I recently watched uh, Extraordinary Gentleman again, and yeah. I felt like Jekyll and Hyde got to actually converse with their reflections. Right. Um, and I'm just wondering if if you did if you did that kind of concept with Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I feel like your compositions would be able to play more simultaneously more often. I I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right because it's sort of like with the werewolf thing, it's sort of like it completely just takes you over, right? You don't mm -hmm. have a choice in the matter. Where Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde is like sort of, kind of like Bruce Banner and the Hulk, like kind of, kind of, sort of, in that they like they have a weird internal relationship, you know? Uh, and so yeah, being able to sort of like interweave all those music, both of those characters' music into one play who's who's the personality that's strongest now and who's trying to combat it and that kind of thing i think that that kind of concept is really fun dramatically to to think about i really don't know which one i would want more because now i'm thinking about that if uh you did a werewolf thing uh you can slowly hint to what the song is going to be sounding like you, you you hear a little bit of it when the wolf bites and you see it as the signs of he's going to be a werewolf coming <laughs> happening. And then once that full moon hits, that's when the music comes in to just murder the human that's inside of him. Right. Right. I think, I think the big difference is with the werewolf and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is sort of like 
the werewolf, I think exactly how you described, it's more like our character's music and then eventually werewolf music where Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is much more cerebral because they're constantly like at odds with each other, you know? So the music is always weaving back and forth depending on whose personality is trying to poke through or not, you know? Did you see the uh, new mummy movie with Tom Cruise? Uh, I watched a review of it, and I think I, <laughs> I saw enough in that review. <laughs> I I don't ever want to watch the movie, but I did watch a little bit of a uh, uh, Russell Crowe's version of uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I just saw that one clip of him turning into Mister Hyde, and yeah. I was like, I don't want to see the mummy. I don't give a shit. But I kind of wish I had seen that. I wish he had his own movie, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, because his portrayal of him was pretty fun. Like he, he, him going from like a really, uh, when he was Dr. Jekyll, yeah, when he was Dr. Jekyll, uh, he had more of a British, like a really fancy kind of British accent. And then when he went over to Mr. Hyde, he got really cockney and it was just a really cool contrast. And I appreciated that a lot. That's cool. That's, that's cool character development too. Just to say like, oh, they're vastly different people, you know? It's a, it's a fun scene. I highly recommend checking on YouTube. I wouldn't recommend watching the movie. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> Thank goodness for YouTube. <laughs> um, since you've worked professionally, I'm just curious, like, what is a work lesson that you've gotten from working professionally that if you had told a student at Berkeley or a student in any of your colleges, and without any context, you tell a student a thing, and a student's like, what? Like, what would confuse the hell out of them? Gosh, I know that that was a tough question to think about because there's like there's such a myriad of things that you learn just through experience in the you know as you're working professionally that you would never even get exposed to uh, when you're at school. It is, it's just so. I mean, that I think it probably translates to pretty much any profession, really. Uh, but I think that the biggest thing you don't get exposure to at school um, is actually how to interface with a client, how to be able to interpret what a client says about your creative thing to like then also achieve what they ask for. <laughs> how would you teach that class, man? There's no class on how to deal with customers. <laughs> there isn't. You just have to like get emails. And pull your hair out for like a couple of years until you figure it out. There's no class on that. <laughs> There's no class on that because like I've I've had a lot of customers where they'll they'll complain about a red and I'm like, what's wrong with a red? And they're like, oh, it's too you know pretentious. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing is so prevalent even in just the visual art world. I mean, it's so the there's a lot of parallels there. There, there's no class on how to deal with customers, and there never will be because customers are dumb. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and it's so much more different than uh, than like a, a customer in like a retail environment because you know they're just because the thing they're asking for is in the store and you can go get it or talk about it. Whereas like I made this piece of music and then I sent it to someone and they don't have any of the same musical influences that I have. So then they heard it and went like, well, can it be less insert adjective that doesn't tr uh, relate to music at all? And then, uh, and then you have to go, sure, no problem. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I recently asked someone whether like, uh, they're like, uh, draw me with, with a, a baseball cap. 
And I was like, all right, cool. Does the baseball cap have that little hole in the back? And they're like, what hole? And I'm like, the hole, the, the, the size. I don't, know, I don't know if it has an actual term, but that hole, it has a size, and it's above it. <laughs> and that was a weird conversation. They're like, oh. they're like, no, you don't have to draw the hole. And I was like, cool. And he's like, I, I had to explain. I'm like, this is a question. This is a regu- regular question, because if I did not draw the hole, you'd be like, where's that hole? Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> So I'm sure you had the same kind of thing of like, you know, when someone says, you know, can you draw, can you, can you make more courageous? This, this song needs to be more courageous. <laughs> yeah. Well, even that I would be, I would like, I would give props to a client that could give an adjective, like make the music more courageous. That actually helps. That's actually a very helpful adjective. What if someone said greasy? What, what's I want to know an example of an adjective that's bad. Okay. So, all the adjectives you've said so far are totally valuable. Damn it. They're totally valuable. <laughs> what isn't valuable is when a client says something like, um, can it be 30% more, like, green? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, uh, would you say it's super green? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, oh, I wish I, I wish I would remember it. I remember working on this. What would you do? <laughs> um, okay. So, so pro, pro tip, when you get a note from a client that you totally can't really understand, you generally just make the track a little louder and resend it and hope for the best. <laughs> Did I tell you about the uh, the guy who I, I think I might have already said this in one of the episodes of the podcast, but I don't care. Uh, did I ever tell you about the client that asked for uh, – it was a drawing of them in the park. And I drew them in the park, and when I sent it to them, when I sent it to him, he said, uh, where's the tree? And I was like, what tree? And he's like, you know, I thought that because they're in a park, there'd be a tree. I was like, but you didn't say anything about a tree. I put them in the park bench. I put grass. That's, that's a park. And he's like, well, I thought there'd be a tree. And I'm just like, if you wanted a tree there, you should mention – that you want the tree. Yeah. And I said that, uh, well, it's going to cost more. And he's like, why? I was like, cause I have to do more time on the tree. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> if the tree, Oh, go on. I was just going to say, I can parallel that. Uh, I think, I think some of the more frustrating notes I've, I've gotten is, you know, it, uh, I should preface this by saying like, obviously the whole goal is to make something the client loves and you're sure. going to work as a team to achieve a thing. Right. So, you know, it's fun to joke about this stuff. But in the end, it's like ultimately you make a thing as rewarding when the client loves it. But well, well, even even it's it's a hell of a feat. So it's not I mean, we're making fun of uh, bad customer, bad client interactions, but still a hell of a feat for two minds thinking about stuff and trying to psychically connect that somehow. Oh, through words, through words. Yeah. And, (laughs) And through a medium that generally one of the people does not know how to to do you know like they're hiring me because i know how to do music they they don't know how to they're hiring you because you know how to draw you know they they don't know how to do that so they're like i have this thing in my head but i can't do it so you go make that thing in my head and you go is it this and they go no it's not that you go how about this one no still not that and you just have to have this back and forth um 
And I, we can joke. We can joke, but this is still a hell of a thing. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, uh, it's ultimately so rewarding when when especially when you work on a movie because you can go through revisions, revisions, revisions for, you know, down just through the microscope on different cues for a movie. And um, and uh, it can be really grueling. But then at the end, when the movie comes out and it's like you're watching this whole story unfold and the music is help tell, helping tell that story. And it's the director's vision of how he wanted or he or she wanted that movie and that story to be like presented. Yeah, that's a really cool thing in the end, regardless of how frustrating it may have been. At the end, it's really a cool thing when it's all done. Now, you said you had a parallel to the tree. Oh, I was just saying that there's a lot of times in reality television, uh, we write music for reality TV, because most of what I did at Hans Zimmer's company was uh, was write music uh that's basically not, it's not, I'm not scoring the picture. I'm just writing pieces of music that sort of evoke a mood of some kind. So it's like, oh, here's a sad song. Here's a happy one. Here's a one with a lot of energy. And then the production company will take all that music and chop it up and edit it to their, you know, to their show. Um, and so sometimes you get clients that will take a piece of music and then send it back to you and go like, this isn't the as action-y as it should be. You have an action scene we're editing. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, see, when you requested that song a while ago, you asked for a sad backstory song. So if you want an action thing, I'll just make you a new action thing. And they're like, no, I want this, but make it action. Like, well, that's not <laughs> what it is, though. Like, you can't, <laughs> you can't hand someone a pigeon and go, make it a cow. And you go, like, <laughs> I mean, I could, and I will, I'll, I'll do it now. <laughs> I'll just take, give my best version of that. I draw some spots on it. <laughs> give it some horns. <laughs> um, so when you do when when you do stuff for live TV, when you do uh, reality TV stuff, um, well, what I'm getting at is you recently posted that you, some of your music found its way into the Tiger, Tiger King, right? Yeah, it did. That's such a weird thing when you, when you hear something you wrote and you're like, oh, I think that's mine. <laughs> how how was that? I'm just curious because I, 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 I get this mental image of you sitting down doing something. Then you hear something that you were working on for a long time and you're just like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, I can tell you that it completely takes you out of whatever you're watching. <laughs> it was like, it, uh, it was like during some scene where Joe Exotic is like, he's like at his desk and he's like talking into a like a phone on his desk, like on speakerphone, and then he's you know saying some shit about Carol Baskin to whoever. And okay, so the so the whole thing was your thing. Yeah, <laughs> Joe yeah. Exotic on the phone talking about. <laughs> and they played some piece of music of mine, and like I'm like really into like what the hell is gonna happen in this crazy story, and then I hear my music and I'm like, oh that's my music. And then you just start listening to your music and how it like is relating to the picture. And then like the episode ended and I'm like, I got to rewind. I didn't get anything <laughs> that happened. I completely missed it. <laughs> that, that is incredibly. <laughs> that would be weird. That would be bizarre. <laughs> it's, very, it's very, very weird. <laughs> um, 
so speaking of like different emotions for different melodies and different music, um, what, what, what would you do? Okay. For example, uh, the Avengers theme song, um, at the end of, uh, infinity war, uh, all, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's been out for a while. So I think I can spoil the ending of Good. infinity war. Um, Chris Willis has been dead the whole time, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We we were just talking about Sixth Sense in the last episode, so it's just weird that you're bringing that up. There's been a lot of symmetry. (laughs) Because you even mentioned werewolves. I feel like a lot of times it's like a clip show. But at the end of Infinity War, uh, we hear the Avengers theme song, and it sounds sad now because it's slowed down and like minimalized to like not so heroic, but really just like this distraught and depressing kind of feel. Yeah. Um, as a musician, where how does your mind wrap around adjusting a uh, a melody or I don't know the term is it is it a melody like the theme? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. How how do you get around to make it a different emotion but still the same melody? Gosh, I mean that's a six million dollar question when you score a film, right? Uh huh. I think uh, I think it has there, there's a few facets that that are um, successful in that uh, when when you approach something like that um, you have to kind of you have to think of um, first of all the instrumentation instrumentation plays a huge part in in um, and like what you will feel when you hear it. Um, you also have to take into account harmony, um, and uh, and you also have to take into account uh, like the the pacing, like the you know the, the actual like speed, the tempo of, of the music. Um, so like what you just described, the Avengers the Avengers theme is like I mean the most heroic thing of all time, right? It's it's great. Uh, Sylvester one of my favorite composers of all time, Sylvester just writes fantastic music. So um, that theme is, is glorious. But then in order to, I, I can't recollect the, the theme like uh, in my head right now, or, there, sure. or that scene in particular, like what the instrumentation was. But um, this may or may not be what actually happens, but uh, a way I would approach it would be like, okay, when it's heroic and we have the heroes on screen and they're doing a heroic feat, it's the French horns, it's the brass, because that sound evokes, you know, um, something that's very like adventurous and heroic and, and courageous and like just the sound of the brass section is strong and powerful. If you take the same melody and play it on the woodwinds, for instance, slow it down, change a couple of the chords to some minor chords as opposed to all the major chords that exist in the theme originally. Slow it down. Have some have have some uh, have some woodwinds playing over it. Play some slow, very deep chords on the piano underneath it. Um, just by switching up those instruments, you can take a very heroic thing to feeling more small and somber, just because of the nature of the sounds you're hearing. It's gonna evoke a different uh, you know a different thing. It, it's one of those things that's really hard to describe in words. I think it's like one of those things you kind of have to like experience. But I, I think you're doing pretty well so far. <laughs> well, that's a very boilerplate approach. I mean, that, I think that happens to. Um, 
I think you can do that with with really. Uh, here, here's a good example. Here's maybe a good uh, a good uh, easy kind of thing. If you if you think of like uh, just take one major chord, just one any sort of major chord at all, and it's played by an orchestra, and it's like the opening to something, right? It's the opening to some big scene, like a big chase scene or something, and it's like this big giant orchestral statement. Later on, the main character is thinking back like to his like homeland or something. You take that same chord and you play it on a lone guitar. You just play one minor chord on a guitar. That sound by itself internally in your brain makes you think, oh yeah, this is like very introspective and like it's more somber just because of the fact that it's one single instrument. It's not the orchestra, it's played slower. And then you pair that with the visual and that's what sells it, you know? Cause it would be so like, you wouldn't feel what you feel at the end of infinity war. If all of the heroes are crumbling to dust and the, the uh, theme plays with the brass section. <laughs> <laughs> Try a trumpet, trumpet player comes out. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be just like absurd. You'd be like, what am I even feeling right now? <laughs> I'm just picturing everyone look at the trumpet player. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, are you, what are you doing? Read the room, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Tano snapped. That's no trumpet players. <laughs> trumpet players. <laughs> and, you know, and you know what's you know what's so interesting is that even instruments like I just described how brass is super heroic and you shouldn't use it in sad stuff. But think of the score for Saving Private Ryan, and that main theme is played by a single bugle. And then later on, a very, very small brass section, like three or four horns. Um, and it's one of the most somber, most reverent pieces of music about war that's ever been written, I think, as far as in a movie, I mean, in my opinion. Um, so again, but it's very slow and played with like very low dynamic levels. It's done with the the performers internalized a sense of reverence when they played it. They didn't go for a heroic thing, but you can still use the brass section to make a somber thing. It just, it just depends on what the visual is and how you pair the music to it, you know? Now, you say bugle horn with uh, say Brian Ryan uh, was, uh, and that, that makes me think that they chose bugle horn because that would give people the mentality of military, right? Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. um is that like a big thing when you think about like uh, what musicians to, what what instruments to use um because i know I, I i know a lot of times instruments can be used for different genres of movies and genres of story and i'm just wondering if you also think about like where the person is okay for example um have you seen uh westworld yeah mm -hmm. uh one of my favorite things about westworld was when we got to see different worlds that they had <laughs> like they had shogun world they had uh what was the other world that they had i forget the term of it it was like a like uh like in the indian jungle and they were like hunting yeah or something yeah and they always had what was it painted black <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah and they had it but with all these different instruments but you could still hear that song and it was weird because like i think when they went to india and i heard that song i was like hang on <laughs> <laughs> And I, I love I love hearing a song uh, done with different instruments that I would not expect to tell me where 
in the story, where where we are supposed to be. Like you hear those types of instruments and you know what kind of what region and what area, what country you're supposed to be in. Um, do uh, a lot of times if someone said I need an exciting heroic thing, uh, do you ask questions about where are you? I mean, if it's supposed to be, uh, I think it depends on whether it's like complete fiction or or um, if the story itself, uh, like the success of the story depends on the fact that they are in a location. Like, for example... Okay, okay. A good example of that would be Black Panther. Mm-hmm. The whole score is hugely made up of, like, amazing African percussion instruments that the composer went, and he went to Africa, and he recorded a bunch of, like... He went to villages and had people play their drum circles for him, and he sampled it and recorded it, and then used those as the building blocks to make the score for Black Panther. That's rad. So, you know, while it's a... Um, there's like the brass thing that happens in that. Underneath it all is this huge fabric of like African tribal percussion stuff. And so you hear that and you immediately go, I know where I'm at. And Black Panther, so much of that movie is about the location. It's about Wakanda and the place where they live, you know? So. And, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, so. You know, different than the Avengers, where the um, the theme for the Avengers is more just so that you know when you hear that music that the heroes are on screen. It's less important where they're from. It's more that the heroes are there. Where Black okay. Panther, it was so important to know that it was Wakanda and the culture of Wakanda. That was what so, was, was so important about the film, you know. And I love it when Marvel used uh, music as a segue to know what the next scene or who's going to be involved in the next scene. Yeah. Uh, and you find that a lot in uh, in Infinity War. And I just thought of it when you started talking about the uh, the African drums. And, you know, Captain America says, I know a guy. And the music starts playing. And you're like, I know where he's going. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> or uh, when they go into space and you hear that uh, 80s rock. And you're like, mm, <laughs> we're going to see some Guardians now. <laughs> right. I'm a big fan of uh, I'm a big fan of music and I love talking about music because I feel like there's so many movies that are only successful because of the music that were in them. Uh, and I've told people, and I think I've already told you this one. I don't think that Hook is a good movie without the music. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. <laughs> like there's some really if you if you take the music out, there are some pretty dumb scenes in Hook. <laughs> <laughs> That whole scene where the pirates are uh, are taking the hook to Captain Hook and like hook hook where's the hook would be so dumb if you didn't have the dun 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 dun. There's a whole scene where they're following Smee with a hook. That's dumb. It's super dumb. <laughs> but you have John Williams's music coming like uh, I'm gonna save this scene. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah there's definitely some movies where the where it's the score that kind of helps like like push the story along you know so that you don't feel like it, nothing feels dead in the water you know <laughs> um so you are in a folk metal band right did i did i, did I pronounce that genre right <laughs> that's right uh, okay i i suppose we kind of classify ourselves more as just symphonic progressive metal now because we don't 
I don't know. We do use a lot of. <laughs> okay. The, the reason I say that is because the there is like an actual genre folk metal, and there's like there's a lot of like there's a style that denotes being in that genre, and we did that on our first album, and we've kind of moved away from that since then. So. We're a folkish, symphonic, progressive metal band. <laughs> well, now I feel like a complete liar because uh, uh, someone someone said that they were they they just got into folk metal, and I was like, "Have you heard of Wilderun?" And they're like, "No." I was like, "Aha!" <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, well, people who like folk metal will still like Wilderun. Okay, cool. There's a lot of crossover for sure. Yeah. Um. So you recently signed in a contract, right? You're the band. Yeah, the band. The band. I was we're so grateful and so humbled by the fact that that the record label signed us uh in uh like a month ago (laughs) i'm i'm super excited about that and i know i've i've heard your songs before and uh i always describe it in my head as like sea sea shanty songs right yeah the first album especially the first album yeah yeah if you heard the newest album it's not a i i would give a medal to a person who could sing that on a ship and make people feel like <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what kind of metal because don't don't tempt me because now I, <laughs> I i i know a lot of people from the different role-playing uh areas of fandom so if you wanted a bunch of pirates to sing your song or you offered them a medal i think i can make it happen <laughs> right, i'm gonna take you up on that for the next record <laughs> okay okay <laughs> But um, well, well, what what movie genre would you say that your new your most recent album would be, what if we're not talking pirates? Movie genre. Yeah, like where where would you picture this your music to be in? Because like if 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 uh, if there were sea shanties in your first album and you saw pirates doing it, what 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 movie genre group of people would be singing your songs now? Are they are they space pirates? I think it's just got to be something directed by terry gilliam (laughs) damn good answer (laughs) that's all i got (laughs) um one one thing i want to ask you about since like every like i I mentioned that i hear your songs i always think of sea shanty and i think of pirates singing them um and whenever i think of pirates i think about muppet treasure island which is you know the only logical train of thought um what Muppets, what, what Wilderun song would you love to hear the Muppets sing? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I think it'd be amazing to hear the Muppets sing from our first album, the song called How Stands the Glass Around, because it is a literal drinking song. So, I mean, if we're talking Muppet Treasure Island, I think that sounds really, <laughs> really appropriate. <laughs> I would love to hear Fozzie Bear sing the whole stanza. Of that song. Okay. All right. I'll I'll, I'll keep that in mind because I got I got friends I can make that happen. <laughs> you do a pretty damn good Fozzie Bear yourself, dude. I do do a good t- Fozzie Bear, so I'm just like, hmm. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. I can make that happen. Um, I know you're a big uh, fan of James Cameron, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, he makes fantastic films. Um, what James Cameron movie, what what James Cameron movie, if, uh, you were assigned to make a musical, uh, what movie would it be that you would also, you would write the music for, what would it be? 
I mean, aliens would be fucking hilarious to make a music. <laughs> <laughs> so aliens. Yeah, it's gotta be. Uh... Cause I, it, it, would, it would be the first – you said alien, right? Or would it be uh, the second one? Would you just go right into the second one? We'll just start – yeah, just do aliens. I don't, you don't need to – everyone knows what the xenomorph is. We'll just do aliens. Sure. I, I'm, I, don't, I don't think that uh, anyone who is going to go see an alien musical has already seen the first movie. I refuse to believe that one person <laughs> went to that musical thinking it was a whole new thing, and they are upset. They're like – What's going on here? <laughs> like, yeah, they're kind of like, oh, we'll just see what this is. Never heard of that before. <laughs> Ripley sounds amazing. <laughs> why? Why does she keep talking like she's already encountered these monsters? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm missing a whole story. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. If only there was some backstory in this musical, then. God, I really want to write the Game Over Man song. I just think that was so fun. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever wanted to hear a song more than that one just now. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in the back of my mind. That's something I got to work on. <laughs> I would love it to death. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm just thinking of, like, uh, who would I get to sing it? Because I, I know some people that I would make it happen. Oh, my God. You're, you're giving me too many assignments because I, I already need to – Get my pirate friends to sing one of your uh, album two songs. Yeah. <laughs> now, is it any song from album two? Album two or no? Well, the song I the song I uh, was talking about is off of our first. Okay. Record. Um. So, but yeah, kind of any song off of the first album would would work with Muppets, I think, hundred <laughs> percent. No, but you said you said what was what was the song that you want us to sing that would get us the trophy. <laughs> oh, I was referring to our newest album because that album is like a fucking like it's it's like multiple personality disorder and as an album it just switches up so much. There's so much weird, you know, sonic stuff. <laughs> music shifts around so much, so it. I I would I would that's a challenge to get to make that into a sea shanty. <laughs> <laughs> um who would you say is your biggest inspiration in making music um in like film music or just music in general uh both i don't know uh we can we can have two different answers or multiple answers well i mean as a kid i mean it, it, john williams like yeah it, you know because watch growing up family movie night every friday when i was growing up we'd go to the movie store and, you know go rent a film and I, uh, John Williams were like the first movies that I remember watching and remembering the music from, you know what I mean? It was so memorable. And, you know, of course my dad wanted to show me like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and all those fun adventure movies that, that he liked to watch when he was younger. <clears throat> and so I grew up on watching those kinds of things. And, um, what would you say is your like a uh, favorite John Williams bit or one, one that stands out? Uh, oh, E.T. The score e. to e. is is the theme to E.T. is like masterful. It really is. It's it's so good. I can't even. It like John Williams writes amazing music, but the score to E.T. is so freaking good. It's it's like that movie so perfectly encapsulates what it means 
like it, it so perfectly encapsulates the like childhood fantasy adventure mood and like like what would you do if you were Elliot you know everything's from Elliot's perspective in that movie and so the music is like what does Elliot feel and then you watch it and you're like I fucking feel what Elliot's feeling when he's flying in a bike you know and you get you get you get so hopeful when you when the other friends join up on their little bike their, their bike their bike ride away from the government <laughs> like it's was, it's amazing I was just going to say like I'm getting goosebumps even me just too. <laughs> like that's how memorable that movie and that score is to me is just even thinking of the scene the build up where they're they're riding their bikes to the the roadblock that the cops have put and then the bikes lift into the air and the theme is soaring. It's like, Oh my God. I just want to live in that first time I ever saw that again and again and again and again. <laughs> I just want to live in a, <laughs> what moment, what moment do you want to exist in forever? In infinite, uh, watch an ET, especially when the bikes fly over the cops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just loop that and I'll be set. I'll be fine. I'll be yeah. fine. Uh, so, so John Williams as a kid, how, how, where did it uh, evolve to now? Um, well, another another big one for me, uh, film score wise, is Alan Silvestri, because uh, I, I discovered his movies kind of later on. But um, he's another composer I think is so um, memorable. All of his scores are insanely memorable, and uh, and capture uh, such a uh, like a timeless mood for whatever film they're in. You know, appropriate word. <laughs> that's, a, that's a college word for those playing the home game uh, and if you don't know alan silvestri uh, back to the future that's why I, that's why i like it <laughs> yeah, i think back to the future was probably my first uh, exposure to his to his uh music yeah i love it uh have you watched the uh, show uh future man on hulu no i haven't i i've heard that's pretty good though it's it's good. The first few episodes are really a, a struggle to get through. Um, it's only when they actually start, like, it, I think it's after maybe the third. The first plot is working too hard to sell the characters to you. But once you get involved into the story, you actually get invested into the characters naturally. And I think it's some of the best writing because I feel like the... Uh, the continuity, even though they fuck, even though they fuck up the continuity, the continuity still stands strong, and I think that's really impressive. Cool. Usually, when you have a time travel story, uh, if they fuck it up, you see the plot holes too. The the plot holes are too obvious, and you get distracted. Right. In this one, it feels like all of the characters are dumb, so the plot holes are part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Got it. <laughs> They are fucking it up for themselves. And uh, what I love about it is whenever, uh, whenever there's a situation with time travel where um, they find out something new in their present that is only that way because they messed up in the past, yeah. you, hear, you hear that little Back to the Future chime. Oh, they're like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's... <laughs> I love it, and I'm just like... That's definitely Back to the Future. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you, you get that with uh, um, if you've seen a uh, Ready Player One, uh, when he plays the Zemeckis cube, it makes that sound. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. It's really cool how 
music, even like just a few notes, stays with us for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and attaches itself so perfectly to like concepts that when you hear it, you think of like, you hear that little from Back to the Future, you think of time travel, not just Back to the Future. You think of the concept of time travel. <laughs> yeah. That's no, how, you're right. <laughs> that's how powerful music could be, you know? It like transcends that it's from a movie and it's like the noise for when Marty McFly realized something was time traveling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you just associate that with time travel even outside the movie universe, you know? I like I like to think that if some composer who didn't know didn't know didn't know uh, all of musical history, they use that same or similar note from Back to the Future and ruins the whole movie because I keep thinking it's time travel, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this. It's like the serious drama of like people who are about to get a divorce and the music goes on. I'm like, oh, cool. Are we going back in time? <laughs> Why are you going back in time? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I got a, a Pavlov. <laughs> I heard that music and that's what I'm, I'm stuck at now. <laughs> um, so it went John Williams, Alan Silvestri, which are amazing names. Uh, any other names that have uh, peered their way into what makes you you? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't, I can't ignore the fact that I'm, you know, also a big like rock and metal head. So, you know, a lot, I have a lot of uh, classic rock and metal influences that permeate just my musical identity. Uh, bands like uh, bands like Led Zeppelin and Dream Theater and Symphony X. Uh, a lot of these bands also use like orchestral sounds in their music so it's kind of like pulling from the cinematic side of things and then the metal side of things led zeppelin not so much but the other two bands i mentioned definitely do um uh, i grew up i when i you know growing up i listened to classic rock all the time with my dad so um guitar was sort of like always ingrained in me in some way just because i grew up listening to so much of it and so i think a lot of my a lot of my life has been trying to find a way to include both guitar stuff and orchestral stuff into like one thing which is why Wilderun is such a great project to be part of because that's what that is it's like metal band stuff and then I get to write a lot of the orchestral stuff along with our bassist we partner on that and we get to write all these cinematic things and then put the metal things and then just like put them together and that's like is a perfect challenge for me because it's two of my favorite things you know <laughs> It's like someone said, uh, can you make this thing with chocolate and peanut butter? I know they don't go together normally, but I think you can make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, think that's, I, I think that's similar with a lot of art that I noticed that uh, whenever someone thinks about like what's their inspiration – uh, they'll usually give you a list of like the the ones that are on top where everyone knows about where we've just been raised by that uh, raised by them like uh, uh, for for art for uh, comic books you'll think you know uh, my art style will be very focused on Disney or Simpsons or something that everyone knows but yeah. then then the weird shit comes in once you start <laughs> once you start realizing what's underneath yeah <laughs> oh for sure. 
I totally get what you mean. I'm sure there's like all kinds of obscure artists that you go, oh, I pull from those influences all the time, but no one would ever know. Yeah, you you start mentioning names and they're like, who? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's yeah, understandable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people ask me like, so what bands do you like? And they're like, what what not big names do you like? I'm like, well, I like this. <laughs> well, you ever heard of Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum? They're like, well, uh, can't say I have, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are, so people can hire you right now, right? Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I do. I'm just, how, how would they hire you? Uh, well, you can contact me through my website, uh, wingrammusic.com. It's just W Ingram music, but I like saying Wingram. <laughs> it's fun. It's a fun thing to say. That's fun. There's a, there's a, uh, a contact page on there and you, it just goes directly to my email. That's the best way to do it. Uh, how about social media? Do you have any social media that people want that people can yeah. call? Yeah, yeah, I've got um, I've got a, a Wingrum Music Instagram. Uh, I've got two Instagrams, but one's for like dumb pictures of my face, and then the other one sure professional stuff. Well, so, what, what's the, what's a professional public one that people can follow? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Wingrum Music is the one that you want to follow for music stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is your other one also public? Because I feel like that one should be private. <laughs> Oh, no, they're both public. <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have no shame. <laughs> I can dig that. I can dig that. Yeah. All right. Uh, what, what, what words of wisdom or inspiration would you tell to uh, people who are aspiring musicians? Gosh. Uh, oh, I don't want to say a bunch of cliche stuff because there's so many cliche things. Don't, don't go cliche. Don't tell me 100%. <laughs> yeah, just give 110%, Jimmy. 110%. <laughs> Um, I, I know music, not math. 110. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, good advice, and, and even though this might sound kind of bleak, I think good advice for people who are aspiring musicians is to make sure that you that you uh, that you love music as a hobby so much that even if you didn't make money from it, you would still enjoy doing it. Because if you, as soon as you attach your, you know, people always say like, oh, if you, you know, do what you love for a living, you don't work a day and you're like, that whole dumb thing, right? I, I wholly believe that that whole statement is such garbage and is not true at all. Because as soon as you do the thing you love for money and turn it into a business, it stops becoming a thing you only do when you're passionate about it and something you have to force yourself to do to make money at. Um and I definitely struggled with that working at uh, my old job because every day it was like, you know, you got to make music every day. And you think people are like, you get paid to make music every day. And it's like, yeah, but I don't get to just show up and pick up my guitar and noodle around for six hours and go, boy, that was fun. And then get a paycheck. You know, there's like clients that email you, make really weird requests. And then you have to like rack your brain on how to do that. And then you're there for 20 hours to get it done. And then at the end of the day, you send something off and go like, I don't even know if that was good. Guess we'll see, you know. Uh, but if at its core, you can remember that if you were to quit that job tomorrow, the music job, you if you can just go back, if you were to just pick up your guitar the next day and go like, I'm not going to make any money from this, but I still love it. Um, don't Don't lose that. I think that is so important. 
because as soon as you start trying to only make money from what you do, you're going to completely lose the love you had for it. And then it becomes a soulless endeavor. And um, if doing music professionally becomes soulless, you can't be effective because music is an entirely emotional experience. And if you can't put your emotions in it, it's not even worth doing. 